So the reason we ask Granya to give that little wrap is because the hole that we're planning to build will be a little like this, not as high. Um, so for those of you who are very familiar with the lower meditation hall, you'll see that it's a bit of an upgrade, <laughs> to say the least. So um, it will be very sweet when we have that building. So thank you for your support in that fundraising efforts. I just taught a day uh, on Saturday, a wonderful day uh, of meditation and movement with a friend and teacher, Vin Marty, who is founder of the Soul Motion work, beautiful, uh, mindful, embodied dance form. And um, we had 150 sweaty bodies in that room, moving, dancing in delight with great presence. And um, my friends kept saying to me, are we really dancing on carpet? And really is that, can't we go up to the upper hall and do it? I mean, it's really, it'll make such a, so much more fun. <laughs> nice wooden floor. And yeah, we worked it out. But one day we will have a beautiful wooden floor to do that movement on. So I was um, inspired by that day. It was, it was a very uh, rich, uh, enlivening, juicy, passionate, playful uh, day in which to explore um, practice through movement, and uh, bringing presence to how we move. And so I thought about giving a talk on passion tonight. It seemed like a good flow. And then I came up here tonight and I thought, well, I'm in the Dharma Hall, the retreat hall. Maybe I should give a talk on retreat practice, <laughs> which may be two quite different things, or not, as the case may be. That's why I asked how many of you had done silent retreat practice. Put your hands up again. How many, how many of you have done silent retreat? Okay, some. Hmm. What would you like to hear about, passion or retreats? Jack just gave a talk about Oh, uh, Jack just gave a talk about retreats? That's old news. Okay. Passion wins the day. <laughs> All right. Well, I will weave the passion of practice on retreats into the talk. <laughs> so without further ado, I will uh, we'll, um, we'll skip into um, someone who knows a lot about passion. Simone. Listen to the lyrics. I ain't got no home, ain't got no shoes, ain't got no money, ain't got no class, ain't got no skirts, 
if it's okay, you'll have to tell Ain't got no mother, ain't got no culture, ain't got no friends, ain't got no schooling, ain't got no love, ain't got no name, ain't got no ticket, ain't got no poker, ain't got no God. And what am I? Cut my hair, cut my head, cut my brain, cut my ears, cut my eyes, cut my nose, cut my mouth, I got my smile, I got my tongue, cut my chin, cut my neck, cut my foot, cut my heart, cut my soul, cut my back, I got my sex, I got my arms, cut my hands, cut my Simone. <laughs> that song's got I Ain't Got Life. I always love playing music in the Dharma Hall. <laughs> Moving a little and so here we are. <laughs> so passion. So often people ask that question, you know, especially in this form, which is uh, much of Buddhist practice is a very uh, quiet, contemplative, somewhat sedate, somewhat uh, uh, introverted um, practice where there's a lot of emphasis on stillness and calm and clarity and equanimity. You know, the very word uh, nibbana, which is the, the, the fruition of this practice, literally means cooled out, cooling out. It's a, from the verb to, to cool, to cool down. Cooling the fires, cooling the passions, cooling uh, the torments of suffering. And the tradition has been mostly upheld in a renunciate form, in a monastic form, the last 2,500 years passed from, from teacher to student. And, um, and it's only in the last couple of decades, really, that the, the teachings have really spread uh, in a much more uh, non-monastic, non-renunciate form. And so Buddhism always adapts to its, the culture and the milieu in which it finds itself. So Tibetan Buddhism is very different than Zen, and very different than 
Cambodian and Sri Lankan Buddhism because it because it, it morphs with the culture and takes on some of the cultural norms and forms and beliefs and practices. And so as the Dharma, as the teachings come to America and uh, to the West, uh, it's 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 um, it's also adapting to the needs, you know. So you know the the practice is an appropriate response to the the, the suffering of the times, right? To the needs of our times. So the particular stress that we feel uh, driving around on our cell phones, texting at traffic lights, and um, being swamped with uh, work and email and the rest of it um, is a very different set of conditions and requires a different response than if you were living a very uh, quiet life in rural India 2,400 years ago. So, um, uh, and the needs of, of lay folks, which we are, are very different than if we were living in a monastery where in the tradition there has been a choice, just as the Buddha chose, to renounce uh, ordinary worldly life, renounce working and sensual pleasures and uh, all of that, and to really really go into retreat. A monastic life, in a way, is a form of retreat. It's a form of removing oneself from the day-to-day things of life and really in- intensely... Uh, putting as the priority of your life uh, awakening. Which, of course, we can also do in our lives uh, in, in, in our lives uh, here. It may look a little different. So, um, so I'm giving that little background because the, 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 the leaning of the tradition has been to, away from the senses, away from the physical world, away from the sensory world. Um, uh, as viewed as somewhat of a hindrance or an obstacle to to cooling out, to cooling out the fires of greed, of hatred, and ignorance. But here we are, uh, living in America, living in the Bay Area, living uh, in families and relationship. And we require a different set of teachings. The principles are always the same. The principles of freedom, of compassion, of, of clarity, of insight, of letting go, of orienting towards kindness and peace and away from, from self-referencing and from self-centered desire and from greed and from hatred and animosity. But the expression of that is going to be very different for us living a normal everyday life than if we're living in a monastery. So that's partly what I want to speak to tonight, because that's also been my um, exploration in my in my own journey. And I'll, maybe I'll say a little about that. So, uh, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I I started practice when I was in my late teens and uh, was very passionate, uh, not about meditation, (laughs) 
And uh, um, I was actually passionate about social justice and politics and uh, punk rock. That was my passion. Dressing up, being as wild as possible, uh, wearing as many colors in my hair as possible, uh, seeing how big my mohawk would get and um, how many great punk bands I could see in, in the week. Um, but, you know, as, as these things go, something wasn't getting satisfied. Despite being at the, the heart of the punk movement, um, that just didn't fully do it. Um, and uh, doing as much uh, drugs and whatever else was available, uh, that didn't do it either. And... Um, for various set of circumstances happened upon a Buddhist center and, um, and, and did taste that cooling out. Walked into the center as, as maybe you experience here. You come off the freeway and you step out into the ground of Spirit Rock and something goes, ah, oh, there's an out-breath. Like, oh, sanity, calm, coolness, stillness, peace, ease, friendship, community, something. It's something registered, even just, oh, the beauty of the land. Right? Something in our being softens or eases, hopefully. So that happened for me, and uh, my passion shifted from punk rock and uh, anarchism and squatting and uh, making myself a nuisance to various authorities, um, to uh, really to an internal focus, to, to discovering... Uh, the fires that were burning in me that were really causing me a lot of misery. Fires of self-hatred, fires of comparing, fires of uh, deficiency, fires of um, shame, fires of loneliness, all kinds of things. And uh, so I took to the practice like a duck to water. And... um, and, and really, and, and the, the, the practice and the, the possibility of liberation really became a fire, just as it was for the Buddha. You know, the Buddha had a really pretty cushy life. You know, prince, all the things he would ever need at that time, sensual pleasures, um, and he didn't do it. He didn't do it, just like we have in this cornucopia of uh, everything we might want here and it still you know, leaves us unsatisfied. And so he left home with a passion to discover truth, to discover freedom. What, what does it mean to be free and unburdened in this life? And so with a, with a tremendous passion for six, seven years, meditating in the forest, studying with teachers, practicing asceticism, trying to find what frees the mind, what allows us to, f- to feel unperturbed amidst the changing conditions of our lives, Anybody have that desire? How do we find peace in this chaos? How do we find security in a world that's inherently uncertain? Where is the refuge? Where do we look for for ballast, for support? And we look outside and we go, well, it's not really out there. Our relationships, our economy, our government, uh, the environment. There's not a lot of security, not a lot of stability. So, um, so I could say, you know, reframing uh, my 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 practice, there was a lot of fire for liberation, 
fire to understand what it mean, what does it mean to be free in this world? What does it mean to be internally free so we're not caught up in the snares of our own mind and our own heart? Yeah? What is freedom what would freedom look like to you? Yeah? And is that a desire? Is that a is that a, a burning passion? One of my um, Indian teachers used to say, it's, it's, it's the desire, it's the longing for freedom that will set you free in that it will propel you to look, to seek, to search, to inquire. So my particular passion in the path, in my early years, um, as, a, as a young, idealistic, headstrong man, was um, uh, to understand... Uh, the wisdom teachings of the path, of understand liberation, understand emptiness, understand freedom. And, but my, the orientation of my search was, how do I get away from this crazy, messy, painful world? How do I kind of step off the wheel of samsara, as it's known? How do I escape? Um, and in that way, in that sense, it was uh, it had a flavor of rejection and a, refl- a flavor of aversion to the world. The world was messy and painful. I didn't want anything to do with it. I was going to seclude myself in, in in a retreat, in a monastery, in robes, whatever it would take to get me away from from the pain. Anybody feel that? You'll do whatever you can to get away, right? You'll do all kinds of weird, wonderful things. Um, you know, and I, I was in a, I was in following various traditions and teachers, and wonderfully supported to do that. Um, and we all practice in a way out of our own delusion. So we we drag our, our, our distorted ideas and preferences onto the path. Yeah. So, so my bias was to was was doing this. I didn't know I was doing that. I was trying to get to that, which looked like freedom, but that looked like life and messy. And um, you know, and it works for a while. You know, these faulty strategies work for a while, and then uh, I started feeling like I was drying up, like I was getting really dry and cold, but in a way that wasn't heartful. It was cold. Um, and it didn't feel like it didn't feel full. It didn't feel complete. It didn't feel like what the teachings were pointing to. In a way, I sort of was slightly going down a, uh, um, a path that wasn't complete. You could say. Is this sounding familiar to any of you? So you know, which we you know the, the path is a trial and error. And we, we balance, and we, and we come out of balance, and we balance. And, um, you know, life generally will come and give us a big slap when we get too far off in the wrong direction. And so that happened to me. I got a big slap, um, which was a very painful slap. It was a kind of breaking of my heart open um, to various things that I didn't know that I was running away from. What I was really running away from was really, really deep pain inside myself that I was able to somewhat transcend to some degree through meditation. I now know it's called bypassing. And, um, and had to, and as Jack talks about this, uh, to come down from ascending to inhabiting the other chakras that had been uh, not really uh, worked through. 
uh, particularly the heart chakra. And so um, I have a deep respect for life, uh, inviting us always to come to balance and come to our center. And so through a long process of uh, painful descent, which I won't go into tonight, talk about it another time, um, I began to uh, realize that the, that the path to freedom, for me, uh, had to include the heart and the fullness of love. And the fullness of including my humanness and what it means to be in this life with all of its messy, complicated, painful ups and downs. Much as I didn't want to do that. And um, so that the last you know, 15 years of this journey has been an exploration of how do we, how do we live in this human in this body, in this life, with these passions, with these desires, with these longings, with relationship, with love, with sex, with work, with money? How do we, how do we wake up in the middle of all that? It sounds much easier just to go to a cave and meditate, <laughs> right? How do, you, how do you practice balance when you've got 500 emails in your urgent to-do list and you know, your partner's wanting attention and you're late to get the checks to the bank and you don't have enough to pay your rent and blah, blah, blah. How do you, how do you show up? So in, back in the time of the Buddha, <clears throat> the, there's a, um, a body of teaching called the Vinaya, which is the monastic rules. So, and the, the rules were, uh, be, got invented. The Buddha didn't sit down and go, okay, I'm going to make this really, really challenging on all the monks and nuns, and I'm just going to write out this really long, laborious list of rules just so they feel miserable and restrained and contained. No, the rules came out of response to the natural human impulses uh, bashing up against a, uh, a practice of renunciation. So when you come on a retreat, it's a practice of renunciation. You give up your day-to-day life, you give up your work, you give up uh, being in contact with anybody, you give up conversation, you give up um, drink and having your schedule be its own way, and it's a form of renunciation. And the mind kind of kicks and screams against it. Because we like to have freedom. We like to do what we want, when we want, with who we want. Um, so we get to see the strength of these, these desires, these longings. And so then it was true for the Buddha. And uh, so there's all kinds of, um, from this point of view, look rather humorous where monks would, would uh, do things that would incur the, 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 the wrath or the, the judgment of, of mostly, the, I think, the people and the elders, and um, particularly around sexuality, because uh, it was a monastic order and the monks were, and the nuns were, um, uh, had to practice celibacy. And so, so in practice, in so many ways, like in this instance, pitted the monks and nuns with their... Um, sexual desire, and, and how to work with that passion. <clears throat> so, so the net result of all that is that there's all these rules about sexuality, 
um, so of, so, which include not um, having sex with yourself, but also not having sex with monkeys, with ghosts, with dolls, <coughs> with people who are sleeping, with people who are dead, with people who are mad, and people who are unconscious. And on the list goes. And you know, it, you just have to marvel at the human spirit for wanting to be creative with rules. <laughs> And to have that passionate desire met in some way. <laughs> and that's the same today with the, you know, the, the, the litany of scandals that, you, that we get from, whether it's the Catholic Church or Buddhist teachers or Hindu teachers, whatever, you know, whatever tradition, there's the pitting of, the, the, of, of these ideals or these, these religious renunciate practices, and then there's the human interface with those that, um, that is challenged. There's a teacher <clears throat> that I love, um, a poet, uh, Zen teacher, Ikkyu, who was a famous uh, Zen master and, and head of one of the most famous monasteries, uh, temples in Japan. And uh, at some point, he got fed up with the whole um, religious bureaucracy and, and institutionalization and, and went off on his own and also uh, left behind uh, his renunciate vows. And he had some very interesting things about his own exploration with passion and, the, and its interface with uh, his spiritual life. He writes, The narrow path of asceticism is not for me my mind runs in the opposite direction. It's easy to be glib about Zen. I'll just keep my mouth shut and rely on love play all day long. And this is the words of the, Dalai, the sixth Dalai Lama, who was known to um, be uh, not so renunciate and would be sneaking out of the Patala Palace in Lhasa down to the local bars frequently. Uh, he said, if one's thoughts towards the Dharma were of the same intensity as those towards erotic love, one would become a Buddha in this very body, in this very life. <laughs> so, and I think the Buddha said, if there was another passion as strong as sexual desire, there would be no spiritual life. We would be consumed by both. So um, one of my first teachers, Vipassana teachers, Christopher Titmus, um, who was a monk in Thailand for some years, and he told me the story. He was uh, used to practice with this very, very old monk. Uh, was in, I think he said he was 93, something like this, in early to mid-90s. And uh, he'd been a monk, as, as often happens in Southeast Asia, when, you know, as a young boy, uh, adolescent, um, so had never uh, explored sexuality. Um, and, and so Christopher was curious. He, he asked him, and he was you know, meditated a lot in this monastery. And he asked, he asked this monk, he said, so what, so what do you think about, like, you know, when you're meditating or, you know, just, you know, your mind must be pretty quiet with, you know, 80 years of meditation. And like, what, what, what goes on in there, at the, you know? And, and, and the, the monk said, oh, mostly I think about sex. <laughs> So, 
these, you know, these, these tendencies are tenacious. So, but the principle, it's always useful to, to understand and get to the principle. Like, because what's being pointed to here is not the outer form. The outer form are just forms, whether it's, whether it's a monastic form, a renunciate form, a retreat form, a lay form. Um, they're forms. And you can be... Uh, uh, you know, living a monastic life and no freer than if you're living, you know, in the tenderloin somewhere. Um, it's about how we, what we bring, what attitude, what orientation, what to, to those moments, to ourselves, to our relationships. So this this quote that I mentioned a few weeks ago that I'll read again because I think it's very pertinent to the subject. The Tilopa was a great Indian teacher um, and talking about uh, attachment and desire. And he said, it's not the outer objects that entangle us, but our inner attachments to them. It's not the outer form. It's not the things that we do necessarily that cause suffering. It's, it's our inner attachments and our uh, biases and holding on to. So one of my favorite characters um, in the Buddhist tradition is a teacher called Vimalakirti who was uh, considered one of the uh, Buddha's uh, leading um, uh, students who was a uh, lay uh, teacher, lay person. And he had this to say. You must manifest ordinary behavior in nirvana, where you act like a normal person without losing your spiritual nature, and where nothing troubles you at any stage of your practice. In short, you must attain liberation without avoiding the passions that rule the world. You must attain liberation by living in the midst of where we are. So, um, so what kind of passions do you have? Yeah, what, what are the passions that, that, that um, blow through your house? Anybody brave enough to say? Yeah? Just shout out a word or two. What, what passions? Music. Music. Hmm? Art. Art. Consumption. Food, consumption. Peace, family, literature, literature. sex with living beings, sex with living beings. <laughs> that are awake and uh, conscious and <laughs> so so. Let's hear a little more about the difficult passions. Okay, what what else is what 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 are the passions that that are challenging? Justice. Mm -hmm. Money. Money. Passion for money. Health. Mm -hmm. Meaningful work. work. Mm -hmm. Time management. Time management. Mm. Chocolate. 
chocolate. I hear you, sister. Chocolate. Hiking in nature. Is it a difficult passion or a beautiful passion? Beautiful passion. Family. Mm -hmm. Loneliness. Loneliness. Reputation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Passion for nature. Passion for nature. Power. Power. Yeah, that's a juicy one. Power. Power, reputation, money, family. So you can see, I mean, all these things, are, they're, they're, there's nothing inherent in them that are problematic, in, but it's, it's all in our relationship to them. So family can be a beautiful thing and it can be a source of great suffering. Time, money, same, same. Balance. Balance. Knowledge. Knowledge. Okay, that's enough. I think I'm going to work. There's enough passions going on over here. <laughs> so... Um, in the tradition, one of the words for, for passion is chanda, which is translated as zeal. Um, but I like to use the word passion because it's really what speaks to that sort of fire. And um, as I was mentioning earlier, there's to do anything to, to excel in anything, we need a certain fire, we need a certain zeal, a certain passion. Just like sitting on your cushion. If there's not a lot of fire and zeal there, you know, it's nodding land. You know, it's boredom land. Oh, it's a let me write my next novel land. Let me create my own movie script land. You know? So we have to have the understanding, well, why am I doing this? Why do I come to Spirit Rock? Why do I meditate? Why do I go on retreat? Why do I try to let go? Why do I follow these precepts? Why do I, you know? want to be mindful, want to be present. Because in my experience, if there's not a passion, if there's not a fire, we don't get very far. We give up. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It's not easy to face ourselves and to explore every crevice and canyon of our mind-body to see where, it's, where there's suffering, where there's pain, where it's difficult. There has to be some fuel to want to do that. Because it's not easy, right? Not easy. So those of you who come on retreat, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny, and I teach a lot of retreats here and elsewhere, and, you know, just like when you sign up for vacation, you don't think about, you know, you sign up for vacation in Costa Rica, you don't think about the mosquitoes and the humidity and, you know, whatever else might be there. No, you think about the beaches and the sunshine and it's beautiful and... You know, so you come on retreat and you think, oh, Spirit Rock, it's beautiful, nice bells, and <laughs> nice food, and I'll just be in bliss land, and Nirvana will be right on my doorstep. And Sometimes, on a good day, that happens. Most days, it's, we, it's life shows up. It's, it's, we, we fortunately take ourselves on retreat. <laughs> we take our mind, we take our body, we take our habits, we take our history, we take our neurosis. And that's mostly what we sit with. And that's why it's so difficult to sit with. Because it is. <laughs> 
it's a, it can be painful to to look at ourselves in the mirror because mostly we spend our time so busy and so distracted we don't really take a look we don't feel all the things that are difficult to feel and we don't feel into the the the, the darker recesses of the the wounding or the emptiness or the deficiency or the loneliness and so we have to face that with a with a kindness the passion has to go into the heart, into compassion. Compassion, to suffer with, to feel the suffering of ourselves in another. You know, I think of the Buddha in his vow when he, the night he, he so the story goes, uh, decided to um, sit under the Bodhi tree the, and said, you know, I will not get up from this seat until I attain full awakening. I will not get up from this, this meditation seat until I understand myself fully and attain realization. How's that for passion? How many of us do that when we sit on our cushion? I'll sit for 20 minutes and it's over. <laughs> I'm getting my coffee. <laughs> and if it sucks, then it's going to be 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it takes a certain fire. So what would it be to what, what what would be required to contact a certain zeal, a certain passion, for your own liberation? And I've been, what I've noticed in, in in my own journey is that zeal ebbs and flows. I remember once I was in in, in the nineties. I did a lot of long term retreat. I was in this. I was in. I was in sort of Dharma bum mode, and I'd mostly go from retreat to retreat sitting and studying with different teachers in Asia and here. And in the middle of a three-month course, a dear friend and colleague uh, wrote me a note saying, and he was leaving the retreat halfway through, and he said, great to see you meditating, doing so much retreat. And just, you know, just make the most of it, because, you know, it, that, that desire, that zeal won't, won't last. And I'm like, no, it's going to last forever. What's he talking about? I love this practice. I love retreats. I love this exploration. And soon enough, you know, a year or two later, it's like, it's like that phase of my practice waned and I was, went on to just go back to college and do other things, teach. And, and so these, these things ebb and flow. Um, and I always say to people, especially if they have a desire to, for retreat or they're on retreat and they want to do more practice, I say, you know, if you have the desire to practice and the, and, and the, the material means to do that, and the support of your loved ones to do that, and you have the time to do that, then jump, because those conditions are very rare. Those, those, those four conditions don't come together very often. Yeah. Even the conditions to, to meditate you know, in the morning, they don't come together very often. You're tired, you're running late, kids need feeding, it's so cozy being in bed with your partner, you don't want to get up and sit on a cold cushion. I think about His Holiness the Dalai Lama who gets up at three in the morning, four in the morning and sits four or five hours before he goes to work, before he goes to his job. Um, That's a lot of passion. That's a lot of zeal. And the fruit, you see the fruit in this beautiful human being who's evolved his heart to the incredible degree. So another another f- way of talking about passion uh, in 
Buddhist context is virya, this is uh, courageous effort, courageous energy to to wake up, to look at yourself, to look at the truth. A friend of mine was talking to me, he, he was in this tradition um, where you would invite people, you would, you would it'd be like you'd have a, a, a social gathering of your friends in this community, and you would invite them to speak their truth about you. Whatever they thought and saw about you, felt about you, you just you invite them to speak it. That's courageous. How uh, <laughs> stupid. A courageous uh, <laughs> pursuit of wanting to know the truth. You know? We so often don't actually share the truth with one another. So to, to look at where, where passion, where does passion arise for you? What, what are you passionate about? And does that have um, f- flow? Does it have like is that is is it have, does it have a channel? Or is it a, like oh I'll do that when I retire? Passion, but right now I've got to go you know do my work. Yeah. What passions are you sitting on? What fire, what, what, what call of the soul. There's this lovely poem that I read at the beginning of retreats that goes like this. Hmm. What pulls... Hmm. I forget how it starts, but it goes, it goes on to say, uh, what pulls on your soul when the doing is left undone, the lists are laid aside, and the wild iris blooms by itself in the dark forest. What still pulls on your soul? What in the silence calls you? Right? And we all have a calling. We all have a, a pull to, to one or many things. And so part of practice is aligning with the truth of our being and the truth of what wants to, to arise through us. So for Mother Teresa, it was service. For the Dalai Lama, it's compassion. For the Buddha, it was awakening. For Dr. King, it was justice. And I think about, uh, if you think about the great, uh, the people who we know through history, uh, the artists, the writers, the poets, the composers, the great thinkers. Right? Mostly, their work came about through them pursuing their passion. I think about Picasso in his studio painting thousands and thousands of paintings. Right? It wasn't something he did on a Sunday afternoon. That was his life. You know, Mozart slaving away in Salzburg. So there's the healthy side of passion, then of course there's the the, the not-so-healthy side of passion, which is really what the Buddha was pointing to, uh, where our passions, uh, where we get gripped in a way, in the fire, that we, we become blind and we act out through identification 
with passions that don't serve our well-being. So with anything in practice, the, the question or the inquiry is, does, to what end? Does this serve? Does this help me wake up? Does this help me be more free, more joyous, more connected, more loving, more kind? Yeah. So what, what, what for one person could be a passion, could be very liberating, another per- person could be very uh, entrapping. So you all thought you were probably going to get a talk on sexuality next. I was going to talk about passion. That's, that's another talk to come. That's part two. So any comments? I'm curious, just as, you, as you're hearing these words, any, um, any comments that are coming to mind about this theme of passion? Yes? For, for those who don't have a specific passion, what motivates them to do anything, to get up, not just stay in bed? It's a, a good question. Maybe. The question is, uh, those who, people who don't have a specific passion, what motivates them to get up? And Someone has just said survival, hunger, thirst, habit, habit, boredom, restlessness, integrity, recognition, recognition, desire to find their purpose. Can you be happy without passion? Can you? <laughs> so the, 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 uh, the reason I'm asking for comments is because often when we give a talk, um, so now I'm talking about passion, and I know for many of you ref- reflecting, just as the questions are pointing to, well, I don't have a passion, or I should have a passion, or I have too many passions. Um, so the, the, the point of giving this talk is really just to, is, is, you know, just as I've explored with, with the, the different paths that we can take on the, in, in spiritual practice, there's no, there's, no, there's no right or wrong way. There's more just what's happening in the context of my life in relationship to this teaching. So maybe passion isn't something I think about or care about. Or maybe I'm blindly gripped by passions that I'm so consumed it really makes me make really unhealthy and wise choices. Like my addiction to alcohol or to sex or to pornography or to workaholism or to money or to power or to recognition. So to look at, um, usually we'll find somewhere where some form of passion is, is, is running through us. And, you know, in these teachings or a movement, an orientation to how do we shift our lives so we incline towards that which brings liberation, that which brings joy, that which brings peace, that which brings well-being. 
And if we have these strong energies that are moving through us that aren't, that aren't healthy, then we need to, you know, that's where we take a look. We inquire, we get curious. How come it is I am acting out these passions of road rage or aggression or envy or jealousy that really cause a lot of pain? I don't know. I want to take a look at that. So some words from Rumi, who says a lot about passion and surrender. There is some kiss we want with our whole lives, the touch of spirit on the body, seawater begs the pearl to break its shell, and the lily, how passionately it needs some wild darling. At night I open the window and ask the moon to come and press its face against mine. Breathe into me, close the language door and open the love window. The moon won't use the door, only the window. And this is also from Rumi. There are love stories and there are obliteration into love. You've been walking the ocean's edge, holding up your robes to keep them dry. You must dive naked under and deeper under a thousand times deeper. Open completely. Let your spirit ear listen to this green dome's passionate murmur. Let the cords of your robe be untied. Shiver in this new love beyond all above and below. And I'll leave you with a quote from a tantric text, a Buddhist tantric text. To renounce the sense objects is to torture oneself by asceticism. Don't do it. <laughs> when you see forms, look. Similarly, listen to sounds. Inhale scents. Taste delicious flavors. Feel textures. Use the objects of the five senses to awaken you will quickly attain supreme Buddhahood. So I particularly love this quote because I do a lot of nature practice and I, I'm teaching people to awaken to their senses. You know, we, we, the, the senses are the doorway to the present. And we can have a very healthy, wonderfully enriching, beautiful, juicy relationship to the senses that allow us to awaken. Yeah. Rather than thinking, oh no, I can't do pleasure, no. Pleasure, as anything can be a doorway when used with presence, with mindfulness. So, enjoy. <laughs> Thank you. So, lovely to be here, lovely to be here with you all. And um, a couple of things before we go. Um, we'd like your help with uh, taking these mats to the, they're called Zabatons, and there's a sign over there that says Zabatons, and these Zafus, put them under the, the thing where the Zafus are, and then the chairs, if you could put the chairs, stack them in, the red chairs, the red chairs into, in, in, in twos, and line them up against the back of the room, would be wonderful, helpful. And thank you for your kind donations, and I will be here next week teaching again, but down the hill. Thank you. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.